Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Good morning, all. Glad you're here today in the room or online somewhere looking at a screen. I wish you were here, but if you're not here, I'm at least glad you're tuning in. Hey, we are like, we are over waist deep in our series called Shiny Happy People. We're on the back end of this series, and we're going to look at another challenging conversation that Jesus had with uh, some people who consider themselves very religious. So I know that none of you, after being in this series for this long, would say, well, I'm not that religious like they are. But I believe what we would see in this passage and what we've kind of seen throughout this is Jesus is trying to convert something about the Pharisees. He's trying to change, help, help them to change something. And if we're to be honest, there's something here that we need to lean into as well. There's something about us that perhaps needs to change because we are similar to the Pharisees, maybe in one way or the other. We're going to get to that in just a little bit, but I just want to brag on whoever participated in the Loving Arms uh, baby bottle drop here at the church. You guys raised $314 for that. Every little bit helps. That's a really good thing. Yes, it is a really good thing. Yes, sometimes it doesn't come across as that, but it is. Um, so that was really good. It was just a, a little bonus, a little thing that we just participate in. And we don't put a whole lot of emphasis behind it, but we've done this for years. We support that ministry. And I know they had their own larger fundraiser that this, was, this past week. And some of you were there and supporting it, which is amazing. Um, all of that is great. There's so many exciting things going on just even in our world right now. Football's back. That's great. Yeah, I'm stoked about that. Tornadoes football's back. We got beat on Friday night, but had a great game, even with the loss. And so in college football, does Illini still have a team? I'm not sure. Um, some of you root for them. Um, at least you used to. But uh, uh, anyway, so football's back. It's exciting. But there are also some exciting things happening in the church. You're going to hear some news here in the next couple of weeks I can't tell you about now. But that is really good. But now Life Groups kicks in this week. So now we're getting back into community, into homes, which I'm really stoked about. We have a group of our own. And I just want to say this. If you're on the wait list and you're like, I didn't get a call because I didn't get a group, we're still working on that. We haven't forgot about you. You're not just on a list somewhere and, and you know, like, well, we're going to get to you in two years. We're, we're literally working on a group for you right now. So not right now, right now, but you know what I mean, like right now. So we're in conversation about it. We haven't forgotten about you. Hang in there. So to prepare for us to, to jump into today's content, and if you have your Bible, you can go to Matthew 23, 25 and 26 is where we're going to be in just a couple minutes. I'll give you a chance to get there. Just as I promised, we were going to have Bibles within the seats, under the seats, all around you. If you forgot your Bible or don't have one, we have them all around the room, under the chairs. Uh, it was only one week of Bible uh, Easter egg hunt in here. It was last week. And I didn't realize how ridiculous it was until we started to put the Bibles in this week. And I was like, okay, it seemed like none. Like, it seemed like none. I, I, it was just so few of them. But we've saturated the room. You have a Bible at your exposure. 
if you so choose to use it. So, to prepare for this week's talk, I just want to, I want you to know a little bit more about your pastor. You don't really know your pastor all that well. Some of you don't. But you're going to get to know your pastor really well. Your pastor loves coffee. Any, any of my coffee fans in there? Anyone? You said, you guys were more excited about that than the money you raised, seriously. So I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat pretentious when it comes to coffee. Somewhat. My wife is shaking her head right now. You shouldn't be helping me so much right now, dear. I'm a little bit pretentious, a little bit pretentious about coffee. I like good coffee. Don't pay attention to Marla. She's in the front row. Um, so I, I like coffee. The thing is, I like coffee. I, I have nothing against people who don't drink coffee the way that I drink coffee. I just know, whoo, this thing just about broke. Um, I just know that whenever I have coffee, I want coffee the way that I like coffee. Can, I say, can everybody say amen to that? Like, we all have things that we like. Some of you don't drink coffee. You drink tea. And the reason you drink tea the way that you like it. Some sweet, some unsweet, some hot, some not, some black tea, some herbal tea, some Earl Grey tea. I'm doing this without looking. Let me know if it gets on the floor, you know. Um, we all like things a certain way. So I'm not trying to judge you if you like just regular coffee. And don't judge me just because I like specialty coffee, Okay. I've had coffee from all over the world, and I like a good coffee roaster. I haven't found one here locally, but I'm working on it. So, I like good coffee. We're, we're going to get somewhere with this. Not only do you get to know me, um, but also uh, we're going to learn something about coffee. This is a Chemex. This is also known as a pour-over. I know it looks like a scene from Breaking Bad, but trust me, it's not. It's just coffee. And, uh, and that's just the way it is. First thing you have to do with coffee like this is you have to get the you have to get the filter a little bit wet. If not, it gets, it gets kind of weird. Now, where this, this whole illustration is going to break down a little bit, or a lot, is I was actually supposed to have two cups up here, but I don't have cups, so just visualize the cups, if you will, okay? You're visualizing that? Good. Um, so, you just want to wet the filter. I'm putting this back in here. It's clean water. Nothing wrong with it. Going back in here, next thing you have to do is you have to put the coffee grounds inside here because... After all, we're making coffee. I have previously weighed how how many coffee grounds goes into this particular batch. It's 25 grams. And I'm also going to put 400 grams of water. I know it seems like Food Network, but it's not. Um, I I have just done this so many times that I could really do this in my sleep. And what you can't see is there's a scale here. And I have to weigh this. And when I weigh it, I want the water, I want the the ratio of coffee grounds to water to be perfect. Because that's the way that I like it. And the percentage or the ratio that I like is 1 to 16. But anyway, maybe you think I'm like really pretentious at this point, perhaps. Um, I'm going to start my timer. There's certain steps when you are, are making coffee, and it's not just pouring water in. The first step when you make coffee like this is you just put just enough coffee in there to wet the grounds. And there's a the early part of the process of making this coffee is the gas inside the coffee grounds boils to, like bubbles to the surface. So I'm looking in here right now, and it's called the bloom, and it kind of swells up a little bit. You guys are lost so far. Um, but that's what you do. That's the first step. And all of this is um, I'm putting the ratio of water into the coffee grounds. And again, I, how, many, how many grams of water did I say that I needed? Anybody pay attention? You guys are smart. So I'm going to get there right now, and then I'm not going to drink this coffee. So I'm at like 250-ish right now, still going. It's not going to go over, trust me. Done this before. 
Um, I'm over 300 now, about 350. I'm going to let this sit. It's going to, it just takes time to go through the grounds. And the, the reason why you want the ratio in the way that it is is because you want the right amount of time for the water to then go through the grounds to pick up the right amount of flavor that you want from the grounds. I'm going to finish. I'm at 360 right now, so I only have how many more grams to go? You guys have to do math. A lot less people doing math right now. There you go. Yes, 40. So now I'm good. I can turn my timer off, and you guys get to look at this coffee being brewed while I talk. All right. Why did I go through all this? I'm in a minute and 35, by the way. The reason why I went through all that is because when I'm making coffee in the way that I like to make coffee, I can't just rush the water through the grounds. The grounds have to be the right size to to take the right amount of water as it goes through. And the timing of that is so important because if you just wash it through, it's not going to develop the flavor of the coffee. However, and you know if you have coffee, and some of you had strong coffee, some of you have learned by leaving your, your, your regular bun coffee maker on for a long amount of time, then what happens? That coffee, it doesn't turn into coffee. Eventually, it turns into mud, doesn't it? It just gets so, so strong. Some of you love it, and you drink coffee all day, and that's the, the way that you like it. And you've proven that true because the longer that it sat on the burner, the, the more the water evaporates and the stronger it gets. There's a connection here with you and I. When we, we actually want to be changed by God, we can't just rush the process. If we want to be changed by God, we can't, just, we can't just do a couple spiritual things over a short amount of time and expect a long-term change. We can't. And many, many, many times what we do in our spiritual life is, is we just try and have everything else take priority over our spiritual life. And our spiritual life seems to only get what's left over from everything else that we've chosen to do. And then we wonder why we don't see lasting change. This is also the reason why some of us get very frustrated or irritated or just exhausted. It's because we're not actually soaking in God's love as we should be. But instead, what we're doing is we're trying to rush our way through life. The big idea for today is this. Soaking in God's love will allow you to change. It will allow for change. And striving never will. Soaking in God's love. Just like this water was soaking in these grounds and it's been developed perfectly. You can see this at the end of of my sermon. It's a cone-shaped filter and the coffee grounds go all the way down. It's just a, a great cup of coffee right now. Because it had the right amount of time to sit and to dwell. The coffee and the water and the ratio. If we're going to see deep, lasting change in our lives, you and I have to get past the superficial, spiritual, and religious things and instead not give, instead of just giving God what's left over, but to give God our lives first. Because then, and only then, will we see and experience true, lasting change. The alternative is superficial change. The alternative is to just come to church, consume a message, sing some songs, hug some necks, go eat lunch, and then go home and think, well, I've done my spiritual deed for the week. You won't see significant spiritual change unless you also do some things in between soaking in God's love, getting to know the character of God, 
falling in love with God's word. But that requires for us to slow down. That requires for us to slow down. That requires for us to to gain some control of, of how much we consume media. How many, you know... TV shows that we watch and how many streams we watch on Netflix, it means that we have to say no to some things to say yes to some better things. Because the gospel itself offers something better than surface level, try harder religion. What the Pharisees were imposing upon the people and the audience of the time was a try harder religion that never brought about spiritual change. What Jesus is speaking these woes into the Pharisees about throughout this whole series is they are not changed on the inside. It's only external. They are the shiny, happy people, and, they, and, and yet they were repulsive to other people. But they were the gatekeepers to religious activity in the time. And Jesus is calling them to change, change the way that they think, change the way that they live, and he's calling for us to do the same. Because he's calling us to have this change happen, but he's first inviting us into soaking in his love because then we know that the change is worth it and the change is actually deep and it's not surface level. It would be as silly as some of you ladies, men, you know nothing about this, by the way. It would be, so, it would be as silly as some of you ladies going to Sephora or going to Ulta and buying some, some good makeup. What's a brand of good makeup, ladies? Clinique, all right. Mary Kay, Clinique. Maybe it's Maybelline. I don't know. Is that even around still? All of these things. Whatever you could get at those stores, it would be as foolish as this. You go to the store and you buy the most expensive cosmetics. And you apply all these cosmetics. And you fix yourself and you adorn yourself with all these cosmetics. It would be as foolish as going through all of that and then expecting your heart to change. You could change everything externally, but you wouldn't change anything internally. Let's see how Jesus challenged the Pharisees and the teachers of the law to change internally. Matthew 23, 25 through 26. Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. See here, he brings another woe, this this word of grief. This word of condemnation. The word of Jesus calling out their sin. And a word that they would have been well familiar with because they were well familiar with the Old Testament and this word is used in the Old Testament. This idea is used in the Old Testament. The prophets spoke about it. But Jesus says, you clean the outside of the cup and you neglect the inside of the cup. In other words, you're not changed. It's only an external Change, it's insignificant in your spiritual life because it's all of these external things. You're doing things to be seen, but they don't mean anything because they're not producing anything. 
Earlier on, when Jesus was bringing the woes, he challenged their inconsistency. And in this passage, he's challenging their insincerity. He's challenging their insincerity. That should be on the screen, by the way. That's what he's challenging. He says, on the outside, you are the shiny, happy person. You look like you have it all together. You, you, you look on the outside like the pinnacle of society, but in the inside, you're rotten to the core. There's nothing good in you. And you're the spiritual leaders. You're the ones supposed to be leading other people. You are bringing light to the Gentiles. It's like you're not bringing any light at all. And he's calling them out because they're hypocrites. They're being actors. They're trying to fake their way through. You may sit and and look at this and say, well, pastor, I don't understand how this pertains to me. Well, I have some examples here that may pertain to you. People in our culture, maybe it's an individual who's gone college to college presenting and defending the faith while having sexual relations in massage parlors that this man of God owned. I'm withholding his name, but many of you are familiar with this story. It happens in our day with somebody who who drinks too much on a Friday or Saturday night, and they just think it's funny that they blacked out. Or perhaps it's somebody who stands for the biblical view of marriage, and yet they have affairs. I'm like, really? Which one is true about you? Or along those lines, maybe it's telling your kids to be sexually pure, but you yourself are participating in looking at pornography. That's the outside of the cup and the inside of the cup. Two different things. Or it's somebody who looks righteous, and yet they're not at peace with God. Because on the outside, they look like they have it all together, but the reason why they do what they do is because they're basing their life by comparison to their neighbor. And then again, that's just cleaning the outside of the cup, and that's ignoring the inside of the cup. Or perhaps it's somebody who just smiles and they greet people at church, and yet they still have hatred and racism in their heart. Or maybe my favorite is somebody who talks like they're an expert in politics, but they never cast a vote. The outside of the cup and the inside of the cup are two completely different things. I could get really personal into this, and I could go even deeper into some things that we all would feel found out about. But I'm just trusting that the Spirit of God is going to go well beyond my words and just land softly on you to remind you that perhaps there's some some inconsistencies in your life too. Talking about inconsistencies. When I was a kid, (laughs) I went to a friend of mine's house. Well, it was his grandparents' house. And we'd been playing all day and we went inside inside the house. and, And I asked them, if I could have something to drink, and, and I'd gone to ask the grandmother or grandfather, they're in there watching TV, and they, sure, just say, they said, sure, just go to the refrigerator. I said, great, I'll go to the refrigerator. 
So I, I went into the kitchen, and, and the house wasn't very big, and the kitchen was really small, and, and the, the kitchen table was right in the middle of the kitchen, and it was one of those, those old kitchen tables, older kitchen tables that had the metal chrome legs and had the metal chrome trim all the way around it. You know what I'm talking about? It, it was in that dynamic, and, and the table and chairs was right in the middle of the room, and when I walked into the kitchen, I knew there was a problem because there was two refrigerators, and I was like, well, which refrigerator is it? I didn't know which refrigerator, so... They said, just go to the refrigerator. So I just assumed I could probably go to either one of the refrigerators. But I didn't know, so I just walked around the kitchen table with the chrome legs and the chrome back and and the chrome trim around the table. And I went to the first refrigerator that I saw. And although it looked fine on the outside, once I opened the door, I realized that things were not what they seemed because... As soon as I opened the door to the refrigerator, I realized that there was actually a several-week-old chicken carcass in there, and the refrigerator was not on. Imagine what else I found uh, there, and it was disgusting. As soon as I opened the door, though, I didn't even have to see anything to know that something was rotten on the inside, because as soon as I opened the door, the smell was just horrendous. It was one of those stinks that you get around, and you're like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to smell like this the rest of the day. It was like that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It was, just, it was just rotten. And so I closed the door as fast as I could, and then somebody came in running from, from the other room. They said, not that refrigerator, not that refrigerator. I was like, you should have told me that like five seconds ago. It would have been a lot better. It was absolutely disgusting. I don't know if I got a drink that day because I don't know if I wanted to take a chance with the other refrigerator either. But I can tell you this. When I walked into the kitchen and I looked at the refrigerators, they both looked about the same. The outside of them looked about the same. But they were not the same. Because as soon as I opened the door to that refrigerator, I knew that things were not what they seemed. What Jesus is calling out in the Pharisees and to the people who would be listening to this is things are not as they seem. It seems like everything is, is together and in line, and yet the outside of their, the, the exterior of their life is vastly different than the interior of their life. You see, they knew a bunch of facts about the Bible, but they actually didn't believe them. I'll illustrate it in this way. I, I love how we, when we moved to the Midwest, everybody talks about the weather. People didn't do that in the South as much. It's like everybody talks about the weather. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, how much rain did you get? It was like the always thing. How much rain did you get? Well, I got three quarters. And then you're, you're like comparing notes. You're like, well, we got one inch. And then you find somebody else. You're like, yeah, we got an inch and a half. I was like, yeah, I checked the rain gauge this morning. I was like, yeah, you didn't pour it out from yesterday's rain. Now, actually, it doesn't even count, right? It, it, so it's so funny how people compare, compare rain. We pay attention to the weather so much here. But imagine this, that, that in... in you know, the, the night before, you go and, and you look at the Weather Channel, whatever on your app, or the, the, the weather, man or woman, and, and they go through and they say there's a 60, 60% chance of rain. Right? 60% chance of rain. If I see 60%, I'm kind of thinking it might rain. But imagine you look in the weather as 60-some percent, and you look at that, and they told you, and you may, you may know uh, it's probably going to rain. But the difference between knowing and believing in this illustration is this. If somebody tells you it's going to rain, you may just kind of know in 
intellectually, it's going to rain. But if you grab an umbrella, you actually believe it. I think there's, there's so many times we know intellectually some truths about the Bible or even about God's love, but experientially, we actually don't know that it's true, and we're not acting upon those promises. Instead, we may, we may be able to have internalized, and maybe not long enough, we actually didn't soak in God's love long enough, we just did it in a superficial way, and we're not actually seeing a bunch of change in our life. Instead, now, because we haven't seen significant change over time, now we just try and do surface-level religious things, trying to fix what's already been broken from a long time ago, and yet what God wants us to do is He just wants us to, to slow down and soak in His love. Because when we slow down and soak in his love, then we not only know certain things about God, we actually live upon our belief that they're true. Grab your umbrella next time. Jesus, in in one of the teachings that I love in John 6, 28 through 40, if you have your Bible, it's to the right, three books over, in your Bible, John 6, 28 through 40, he said this on this topic. This is right after Jesus had performed a miracle, fed thousands of people, just a couple barley loaves and some fish. Of course, you can just imagine if you were there that You'd be interested if somebody fed you off just a a basket full of food and knowing that Jesus fed thousands. So this stirred a lot of people to be interested in Jesus. And, And as Jesus would go about his ministry, the people were just really intrigued about what he was saying and what he was doing. This is no exception as to what has happened here. And he actually tries to get away from the crowd. And, of course, the crowd finds him just as they they do all too often. And John 6, 28 this question comes about. They asked him, what, would, what, must, we, what must we do uh, to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign would you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the man in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. You see, they're wanting to shortcut the process. They're wanting what's easy. Jesus then declares, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But I told you, you have seen, and still you do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all who he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. These people had just seen 
Jesus perform a miracle, and they're like, hey, could you do another one? We didn't believe the one that we just heard about. We can't believe the one that just fed us. Could you do another one? Oh, could you be like Moses because Moses was the man of God? Could you be like Moses? And Jesus says, you know what? It wasn't actually Moses who gave you those things. It was the Father in heaven. And Jesus came, and the Father sent Because the Father's love. Jesus died on the cross proving His love. The love for us. So when we talk about soaking in God's love, it's not this abstract idea, and it's not something that we can just do or or to to work about or create within ourselves. If we're going to soak in God's love, it's because the gospel has so richly changed us that we couldn't help but do anything other than soak in the love that saved us. It's knowing and reflecting upon what God has done for us. So, So when we soak in God's love... It's soaking in the love that he has already showed us so we are reminded and we go back to that love. That way we're reminded of that love. And the more that we dwell in God's love, the more we're changed to be people of love. In verse 28 of John 6, then they, that's the crowds, they asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? In other words, is there something we can do? Is there something we can do? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. That's it. It's not about striving. It's not about doing one more thing. It's about soaking in God's love. Jesus calls the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, hypocrites, again in this passage. Here's an interesting connection. The word for hypocrite means actor. They're playing a role on a stage. We recently have been getting into the Mission Impossible movies. We went all the way back to the ones in the 90s, which are horribly done. Like, like, they just are. I mean, you, in, now they were great at the time, but now looking back, you're like, oh my goodness. Technology has come so far that the screen is, is not nearly as clear, but we've been really, I've been personally kind of geeking out on these. I just, I'm really into those movies right now, again, which is, is really cool for me. And, and to see Tom Cruise, who's about 5'7", about my height, to go do all the things that he does is really amazing. It's an amazing work of cinematography is what that is, like everything that he's able to do. I love it. I get into it. But here's the thing. All throughout watching that movie, he's playing a role. He's playing the role of Ethan Hunt in that movie, in all those movies. He says a bunch of lines, but because he's acting, he doesn't actually believe them. He's just taking in the lines that he's supposed to memorize, and then he's just regurgitating those lines, and it makes for some pretty good movies. But because he's an actor, he doesn't believe them. When Jesus is calling out the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and other people who would be like them, he's saying a hypocrite is an actor. It's somebody who who may know certain things or know certain facts, but yet they actually don't believe them. They're just playing a role. It's superficial. 
It's not deep within them. I'll give another, another illustration of the same point from a different perspective. If you were someone who was having heart issues and you went to go see the cardiologist and you were to go see the cardiologist, you would be going to the heart doctor and you would would be anticipating that they would be able to help you and to square you away and to be able to offer all the help. And you go in and you have all the tests and they they look at you and they're like, yep, your heart's bad. You're going to have to have open heart surgery, not the, the one they go up through your leg like the open heart saw you, cut you open the whole nine yards like the... Full enchilada, if you were here last week, you know the connection with that. It's like they have to do all of that, and they open you up. Like, And the doctor says, that's what you need to do. And maybe the doctor says, oh, we're going to schedule a date. It's going to be on this morning, Tuesday morning, 8 o'clock. You're going to go in. You're going to have surgery. This is all that's going to happen. But yet, if the doctor were to go in and say, hey, you need all of these things, and you need to really be fixed, and wow, you're just, you're just really messed up, or we're going to make it right. If you were to go in, schedule surgery, 8 o'clock Tuesday morning, you go in, and the doctor zips open your chest, and you're wide open, and he's looking at your heart, and he invites other people to look at your heart and be like, wow, yeah, that heart's bad. Like, whew, I don't know. We should probably do something about that. It would be absolutely unjust if you went in there for the cardiologist to actually fix your heart, but instead he just pointed out the issue of your heart and then he sewed you back up and then brought you back after, after post-op and he says, yep, I saw that your heart was bad, but we didn't do anything to fix it. That would be absolutely unjust. The gospel doesn't just promise to say, hey, this is what's wrong with your heart, but the gospel promises that the things that are wrong with your heart when you soak in God's love for you to be changed by that gospel. So that isn't just God peering into you say, well, here you go again. You've messed up again. Instead, he just when someone becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God engulfs them and then to express and to reveal and to get rid of the sins that are holding them back. So using the open heart, open heart illustration, not only does God know your heart, but he also asks the spirit of God and he supplants it into your life to help fix your heart and to give you a new heart, a heart to love God, a heart that's soft to the things of God. The Pharisees here are settling for the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. That's what's inside their heart. And Jesus is calling out that hypocrisy. But yet, if you're a Christian, God gives a new heart. And he strengthens it by his grace and by his love. He gives you a new heart. A new heart to love him and want to serve him and to follow him and get to know him. You see, the heart can be cleansed and changed, but first, it has to be opened and broken. It has to be opened and broken. Because God just doesn't want to do some little surface level religious thing to your heart. Instead, he wants to change your heart from the inside out. Notice the way Jesus, when he's using this illustration with the Pharisees, he talks about first the outside of the cup to the inside of the cup, and then he flips it around, and then he talks about the inside of the cup to the outside of the cup. Because this is what Jesus wants to do in your life and my life. It's to make changes on the inside. And once those changes are made on the inside, they will be evident on the outside, but you don't start on the outside. The gospel starts on the inside. 
The change starts on the inside. But a heart has to be open and it has to be broken before it's cleansed or changed. Psalm 51, 17 says this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And David writes, O God, you will not despise. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, an openness to receive from God. The broken, just the Hebrew word means the same thing that we would think it to mean, to break or to break into pieces. Contrite is a derivative of the Hebrew word crushed. Crushed. You see, we have to get to this place. And it's an uncomfortable place. But we have to get to this place to see true and lasting change. I love how the New Living Translation actually translate this verse. This is not going to be on the screen. I'll just read it. This is the way that the New Living Translation translates Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. David writes this to God. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. You will not reject a broken or repentant heart, O God. A.W. Tozer, in one of his great works, he was a pastor and theologian from 100 years ago. He lined down 10 different things, what he called the 10 elements or steps to personal revival. And on that list, he, he adds that one has to do a thorough job of repenting. A thorough job of repenting. In other words, repentance isn't a one-time process. Oh, I gave my life to Jesus. Now I've repented. I've turned away from my sin. I'm turned towards Jesus. It's a continual life of repentance. And he says this, and he adds this, and this is one of the things he's very well known for. After he says, do a thorough job of repenting, he says this. Hasty repentance leads to shallow revival. Hasty repentance leads to shallow revival. What's he getting at? What he's getting at there is, for you and I, we have to do a thorough job of repenting. We have to go back just like David did, who was known as a a man after God's own heart, and yet this, this scripture in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 is two of the most epic failures in all of the Bible. And yet they're writings of David, and he pours his heart out about what he has done and how he's, how, that is bringing, uh, how he's bringing these things to God. And this is what he's saying about himself and about God. He said, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit, and his, his spirit is broken before God. You will not reject a broken or a crushed heart. But God won't reject that. He's not going to reject you. We're told in Matthew 5, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The only way for us to be pure at heart is not for us to just strive and do religious things, But it's to realize that those religious strivings and the efforts to make ourselves right and to cleanse our own heart are simply not working. 
You see, if we refuse confession and repentance, we're left to just pressure wash our own hearts with good deeds. And I was very specific when I chose those words, pressure wash. You see, if we refuse confession and repentance, that's what we're left with. Because we've just walked away from God. We're not soaking in God's love. We're ignoring God's love. Instead, in those moments, we're just, we're just left to pressure wash our own hearts with good deeds. And, and the, the good deeds, this is what happens when you, you pressure, heart, pressure wash your heart with good deeds. It leads to one feeling like they need to perform to be loved and accepted by God, which is simply not true. Or they feel like they have to pay a penance to pay their own sin penalty, to pay off their own sin debt. Well, if that were the case, what would have been the reason for the cross? Or also feeling like we just need to make ourselves perfect. We need to put all of our lives together before we can go before God. The good news is this. You will never be perfect here. You will never be completely whole. God has made us that way, and we've been broken because of the sin that has been woven through humanity, and God loves us still the same. You will never be right while you are here on earth. It is only when we step outside of this life into the eternal kingdom of which all Christians await for. Amen? And some of us, we don't grieve with just sadness and and desperation and without hope. Instead, some of us grieve with hope, knowing that our loved ones have actually received what it is that we're talking about. And we have hope about this because the gospel is true. You see, if we refuse confession and repentance, we are left to pressure rush our own heart with good deeds. It's going to land in, we have to feel like to be performed, to be loved and accepted by God, or pay off the penance, the pay the sin debt that Jesus already paid for, or feel like we need to be perfect, and I can guarantee you we'll land in the last one. Pride. And pride is this. It's the fierce defense of your own righteousness. And also a defensive criticism of others. I can guarantee you that if you take God out of the equation, that is where you're going to end up. It's an all-familiar path. Proverbs 28, 13, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but, they can, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. God offers you mercy this morning. Mercy for the things you've done wrong. There's mercy at the cross. What Jesus did for you and what he did for me is not something that can just be glossed over. It isn't just a fact that we know. Instead, It's a a belief that we live out. The offer is this. You can either soak in God's love or you can strive like it doesn't exist. You can either soak in God's love or you can strive and you can work really hard and pretend that it doesn't exist. But only one of them is the gospel. And that's soaking in God's love. Would you stand with me?
Who's God talking to this morning? Is God talking to you? Has he given you a word this morning? Is there an element of your life where you've been striving and you left God out? And now in this moment, you feel found out. I want you to know this is where mercy is going to meet you. You may feel found out about what you've done or what what you are about to do or what you've been doing. But the gospel is so good and God is so good and he's so loving. That he invites you to delight in him. That's Psalm 37. He invites you to delight in him. And that scripture continues. It says, delight in the Lord. And then what it says is that God will give you the desires of your heart. But first, we need to delight in the Lord. We need to soak in his love. We need to dwell upon his love. But for you, is there there an area of your life where you've just, you've abandoned God? You've been striving and now you're at the end of the road and you're tired and you don't even know, you don't even know how you got to where you are. All you know is you're alone. God wants you to repent. He wants you to to make a U-turn away from upon your acts and about pursuing your will. And turn around and pursue his will. Is, is there some hypocrisy within you of, of you talk about a, a good game? Or you just talk about how loving that the Christians are and yet you still harbor hatred or racism in your heart? You need to bring that to God. And until your heart's right with God, you're not right with God. Is there, is there something about your life where you, you talk a good game on the outside about what a Christian should do or who Christians should be, but yet on the inside, you're not living up to the truth that you're preaching to others? That's hypocritical. That's you playing a role. That's you cleaning the outside and neglecting the inside. I'm talking about what's on the inside. God's talking about what's on the inside. That's what he wants to change. We're going to sing Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. Some of you, maybe you have a reassurance of, of maybe what God has brought you through, and you're going to sing this song, hopefully sing this song with an open heart to say, oh, my chains are gone. But some of you, you still need those chains to be broken. I invite you to come to the altar, to come up front, allow people to, to pray over you, maybe give counsel to you, just to be with you. As we sing, as we stand, as we walk, as we pray, Spirit of God, stir us, move us. Lead us past knowing about these truths. And to having a life that shows that we believe them by acting.